Welcome to the Protectors Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Piccolo. Hey. hey. Welcome to the Protectors Podcast. My name is Jason Piccolo. I'd like to welcome Ashley. How are you doing, Ashley? Good, Jason. How are you? Thank you for having me. Oh, definitely. It's great. I mean, we've been going back and forth trying to get this set up for a while now and finally got you on. Well, yeah, I forgot. Why did we have to cancel it last time? I have no idea. Uh, I remember. <laughs> Probably more podcast something. Oh, yeah, sure. Definitely that. <laughs> <laughs> so you are a police officer in a mid-sized city, and that's where we're going to leave it at. Correct. And so was law enforcement always in your blood? Um, it's definitely not in my blood. I'm the only one in my family, my immediate family that had anything to do in law enforcement. And there's only one other family member. I have a very small family. I know. Yes. My last name is Smith. Um, but we came over the boat and you better believe this, this last name isn't real. Um, <laughs> but so my uncle was, a the head of the air marshal. So we are the only two that are in, um, the law enforcement realm. So how does that happen? Um, we actually, I was the first year that we had a criminal justice class in high school and I took it and I was enthralled with it. Half of it was law enforcement for the year. The other half was the law and lawyers and judge aspect of it. And you had to take it for two years in a row. And, um, each time it got like more intense, you could do more things. So taking this program, I knew that when I was going into college that I was going to study at least law and do an internship. So I did one with a law firm and I did one with a police department. Hated the law firm. It was super boring, um, way more studying, way more schooling. And obviously as a young, well, a teenager, you don't want to study or do anything like that. And I loved the judge aspect, but of course, in order to be a judge, you have to be a lawyer. So I did an internship with the police department, absolutely loved it from day one to the last day. And I just knew uh, that's what I wanted to do. I took the test and I was hired at 20 and a half. Wow. 20 and a half. I mean, did you, were you growing up shooting guns or was it something new to you? I had never touched a gun until the police academy. Wow. Right. Now, what do your parents think about this? You know, the only law enforcement, you know, obviously one of their brothers is in law enforcement, but, you know, not a street cop. And all of a sudden, bam, here there is their young, just out of the teens daughter is going into the line of police work. They did not like it at first. My dad was a little bit more quiet. Um, my mom was very vocal about it. She was not happy. Um, I actually did a lot. The internship I did with the law firm <clears throat> was actually with my mom, where my mom worked. So she wanted me to do that because obviously she sees it day in and day out. Um, she's a paralegal lawyer herself. So in order to see all that, she wanted me to go that route because it's safe. Um, but as the years gone on and they realized I'm extremely stubborn and I was not going to, you know, give up on it. And I was going to, you know, continue to grow with it and do more things and, you know, go more places. They just started to like it. Um, they accepted it. And then now, I mean, my mom, I'll call my mom while I'm at work and she'll hear the radio and she'll go dead silent. And I'm like, that call isn't for me. And she's like, Oh, I don't care. I just want to hear it. Like I just want to hear <laughs> it. <laughs> well, now she loves it. My dad will be like, you know, what are you doing? And of course they're great parents. You know, they always say be safe and 
all that good stuff, but they're very, very proud of me and, and actually glad that I did stick with it and, you know, became a police officer. Yeah. There's, there's a lot to it. It's the giving back to the community. I'm sure that really enthralls them. Now let's backtrack to the Academy. You're in the Academy and all of a sudden, bam, you know, you start watching the videos, you start seeing what's going on and you're like, wow, this is really dangerous. Did you hesitate at that point and say, am I making the right decision? Cause I know, you know, I, when I put the badge on, I was like, man, you know, it really didn't hit me until, you know, I was in the Academy going, wow, you know, I might actually get shot. Uh, so I never in my entire 11 years being on, the, being on this job have ever had that feeling actually. Um, I didn't look at it as though I'm an adrenaline junkie. I like to go skydiving. I like to climb things like I like to go fast. So when I saw that, it actually, you know, you, you watch those videos and it's very disturbing, but my feeling of it was not like I'm scared or, oh my God, I'm going to get shot. My feeling was, I wish I was there to help save that officer from what happened to him or her. And I want to get that bad guy like that. And that's how it's always been. Um, I've never slowed down. If anything, it's probably gotten worse since I've gotten older. Um, I just, I kind of just really love this job. And so a funny story, not a funny story, but a story to tell is I was actually my fourth day off of FTO. So I'm 21, freshly 21, because I turned 21 in the academy and a week later I was on the road. And I had an 18-year-old kid die in my arms. He had an undiagnosed heart murmur that he didn't know about. He was playing basketball in the basketball courts, collapsed, and he ended up having a heart attack, which, of course, I don't know anything about medical. And, you know, it wasn't until the autopsy that we found out what exactly had happened. But um, to tell that mother who was in New York City, um, you know, what had happened was it was a terrible thing to have to do for that mother. And, um, you know, I'll never forget her voice to this day. I'll never forget, you know, her kind words to me to this day. But I remember when, when you have an officer involved incident that anyone has, has died, especially that young. And then me being that young and me being that brand new, you know, you sit down with the chaplain, you sit down with the chief, you sit down with the counselor. And I remember looking at my chief and being like, he's like, are you guys okay? Cause I had my wing car with me. And I said to him, I actually, am I messed up because I'm fine? Like, am I messed up? Am I a messed up person? Like, do I have an effed up personality? And he's like, nope. He's like, that means that you're meant to have this job. You're going to be a great cop. Because I know when I don't have an emotional connection. So I know when to turn that off. I know when to turn it on and make it appear um, that I'm extremely empathetic, that I've been there, that I'm right there with them. Um, but I don't have that emotional connection. So I have that ability to shut that off and just power through and make sure that the job is done and make sure everyone's safe. That's actually a great story. You know, I didn't even, th I didn't think about it, you know, that the next step where it's, you know, disconnecting from the day job, you know, I'm sure there's nights you come home and you're like, ah, oh, man, that sucked. Or yeah, it was a great time. But yeah, it's a, I think that's a, a common theme that was this really weird emotional disconnect, you know, after you see once, twice, three times, and it just becomes every day. It does. And unfortunately, I mean, they get some, it desensitizes some people. Um, I wouldn't say I'm super uh, like that, but there are times where I do where I can't tolerate a lot because, and I have to tell myself, okay, take a step back, Ashley, this could be that this incident could be the worst thing that's ever happened to this person. Or this incident could be a huge deal to this person because 
they've never experienced anything like that. So I, I do actually have to tell myself sometimes, like, take a step back and just be empathetic and just, you know, it might be annoying. Like, I cannot believe this. This is not the end of the world. Like, listen, I deal with dead bodies every day and people trying to kill me every day. But at the same time, I have to take a step back and realize I, I've actually nicknamed this when I first started teaching at the academy. So we're talking like eight years ago, the perfect bubble society. And what that is, is a group of people that wake up at 7 a.m., get ready, go to work, you know, work in their cubicle or their office or you know, their day job and then, you know, come home, maybe stop at the grocery store, but then come home and like live their perfect life and make dinner and be with their family and all this other stuff, have date nights. And they're the type of people that will like, if the road is closed, they'll be like, um, how do I get home? Because this is the only way I've gone this way every single day. I don't know how to get home. Otherwise, uh, you have a smartphone, you can figure it out, but it's the perfect bubble society. They have no idea what is going on outside of their everyday life. They don't know that someone got shot down the street or someone overdosed on heroin and I just saved their life by bringing it back with Narcan. They don't know that there's a serious issue with domestic violence and everywhere. I mean, that's our number one call, our most dangerous call we go to. They have no idea the substance abuse, the child neglect, the child abuse, um, you know, sex crimes. They have no idea. And they're like, this is not happening where I live. And it's like, it's your next door neighbor guy. Like, let's open our eyes and realize it. But I call myself and like first responders and law enforcement and all that stuff is we live in reality and these people live in their perfect bubble society. And so that's just kind of how it is. I am going to steal that from you from now on because I think that's a great, a great way to, a great analogy saying a bubble society because, you know, you watch TV, but you don't get, you know, you're getting like little blurbs of what's going on, but you don't know what's going on right around the corner. Correct. And my uh, my little town out here, right outside of D.C., sends out a blotter every week. But you know they're not putting half the stuff that's going on out there. And I read it. I'm like, right down the road, uh, domestic violence, you know, DUIs, you know, child abuse. And this is this is every day in every neighborhood. You may not see it, but it's going on. And trying to get those stories out there, it's really tough, I'm telling you. It is. And, and I mean, I teach at the Citizens Police Academy, so it's probably the best program we ever implemented about five years ago. Anybody in the area or surrounding counties can come to the Citizens Police Academy. What we do is we teach them everything that we do here in law enforcement, up at 911, all the different departments, the fire departments, everything. And we show them, you know, videos and clips and we show them, you know, statistics and we tell them what we do. We teach them about law and the amount of eyes we have opened for people. That's actually when I developed the perfect bubble society, because I tell my young recruits, I'm like, you're transitioning from your perfect bubble society to reality. So get ready because it's a ride. Like you're going to deal with something new every day. Your life is going to be on the line every single day. You don't know if you're going to go home. Um, but it really, it really is the perfect bubble society. Cause that's just, that's just what they live every now day. What, what type of people do you get in a citizen Academy? Because I know a lot of fed agencies are doing it now. And I know a lot of police departments are doing it, but are you getting like, you know, the wannabe cops? Are you getting people that are like, hey, you know what? I want to know what the real deal is. Why are you using force? Why are you doing this and et cetera? I would actually say the more people that we get are high paying tax dollar um, residents because I feel like they want to come because, I mean, you have the people that want to come and just basically air out their complaints, but you get the other ones that are like, well, what do we pay for? what are we paying for, for your department? So tell me about your department. I want to know. And my gosh, they are the ones that like, yeah, let's up the taxes and give these guys more money after we went through that program. 
Um, we get every once in a while, we get the ones that are like the people that would like to transition to become police officers, the younger crowd, you know, maybe probably like 10, 15%, but really a lot of it is an older demographic that just, they just want to know because they never knew, you know, they were always interested in it, but they never knew what we do, why we do it, where we do it, our hours. I can't tell you, this is the most crazy thing I've ever heard. I can't tell you how many people have said, you guys work 24 hours a day. You work, <laughs> you work overnight. You guys don't close. And we're like, what? When did you guys get this idea that we work this Monday through Friday, eight to four? Well, maybe we, you guys didn't work till, you know, four, but like you work overnight. That's needed. Oh my goodness. <laughs> yes. My perfect bubble society. It's needed. You know, that's actually, I never thought about the whole taxpayer thing. Um, but the other thing I really like is when, when you throw the use of force scenarios at them, you know, that should be like, you know, <laughs> they always fail that they always shoot the person. It's like, oh, no, <laughs> we wouldn't exactly. even tase this person, like step back. <laughs> they should make them get tased. Yeah, I'm just saying that would be kind of cool. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So tell me a funny story. You know, you've seen death. You know, you see the domestic violence. Is there anything that just kind of stands out? So, you know what? That's the funniest dang thing I've ever seen. Um, I don't know if it's the funniest dang thing I've ever seen, but the funniest dang thing I've ever been involved in. Um, so we had, uh, do you guys call them EDPs, emotionally disturbed persons? Yeah. So, or, or for us. 5150 and whatever. Okay, yeah. So California does 5152. So ours are uh, 941 because it's New York State mental health law. It's called uh, 941. So we had a 941, which is an EDP. And he was a frequent flyer. He would get into a fight with his girlfriend. And his girlfriend lived like an hour away and then refused to bring their, their kid. You know, everyday story, always using the kid against each other. And so he would threaten suicide and then he would leave. Well, he would only respond to me. Like he knew my number. He saved my number. Yeah, this is terrible. I had to get, actually give out my personal number because we don't have department phones. But he saved my number. I was the only one that he would call. Like even my guys would call me on my days off and be like, listen, can you help out? And I'm like, nope, good luck. Because I'm not calling him on my day off unless you're calling me in for overtime. But so I called him and I was like, okay, where are you? And he's like, I'm on my way to Geneva. I was like, all right, well, how, how can I confirm that? And he hung up on me. So we knew that he kept a spare key above his door. So we took the key and he has a bare, quote unquote barricaded gunman. He was, he was going to be in his apartment. That's what he told his girlfriend. He was going to be in his apartment and he was going to shoot anyone that came into it. Well, we had a team that could appear through the backslider. It was just a small apartment. We had a team that could appear through the front window, couldn't see anything. He told me he went to Geneva. So we're like, okay, we're just going to clear the house just to make sure the apartment. So we got the spare key. We key in. He's not in there. So we lock it back up, put the key up. I call him back. I'm like, listen, just come back. Normal routine. I'll just bring you up to the psych ward and you'll be fine. And he's like, okay. He's like, he's like, I, once you call me, I'm actually on my way back. I'm like, okay, perfect. Well, he worked at a shop probably about four blocks away. The shop was closed at that time. So we're like, there's no way he's there. We sent a unit over. No one answered the door. In the meantime, I'm nicknamed at the PD as having a small bladder. Like I go to the bathroom like every hour. Cause if you, if you follow my page, I literally chug two gallons of water a day. So I'm sitting in the parking lot and with my sergeant, my wing car, we have four cars in the back. So the whole apartment's surrounded supposedly. So I'm like, Oh my God, Sergeant, I got to pee. And he's like, well, what are you going to do? 
he's like, you can't go to the gas station. It's like 10 minutes away. He's like, so we're going to go behind a car. I'm like, you know what? No, I'm going to key into his apartment. I'm going to use his bathroom. He's like, oh my God, Ashley. He's like, whatever. I got the front. So I go in to key into his damn apartment and I walk in and he is sitting at the table with the loaded shotgun right in front of him. So I draw my gun. I got him at gunpoint. I'm like, get on the ground. He's like, holy shit, Ashley. He's like, no, no, I'm fine. I'm fine. So he gets on the ground. I handcuff him. I call one in custody. My All I hear is car doors and everybody running to me. They're like, what the hell happened? I'm like, to the slider units that were watching. I'm like, did you guys not watch the slider? Because he came came in the back slider from the shot that you guys supposedly checked. And he was sitting at the table with the loaded shotgun. So everyone's like, thank God for your small bladder, Ashley, because... Not only was it messed up that you're going to use somebody else's bathroom, but thank God, because you keyed in and he was sitting there. So that's and, my, that is my all time. I will, if that's not told in my retirement, I will be shocked. <laughs> and thank God it was you because at least you had rapport with him. Yeah, exactly. I mean, he would, he would never hurt me. Would he fight with the, with the guys? Absolutely. And that's one of the coolest parts about like, okay, so yes, I'm decent looking, but I take, I pride myself on talking to people rather than going hands-on if I can. Um, just because I'm getting old, I don't want to do paperwork and I would just rather them comply <laughs> super easily. Um, but guys would rather me be their wing cars because there's no ego. I'll, I can walk up to a call and the guy that wants to fight will completely like relax because he sees a female police officer. He thinks, you know, quote unquote, she's not going to do anything. Or maybe he was raised right and knows that he can't touch a female. He immediately calms down. If I have some of my counterparts show up, they're immediately their egos with each other, even mm-hmm. get amplified. They get run in their mouths. And it's like, just let me talk to them. Go sit back at your car. But so I, I would say that's probably the best part about me being a female police officer nowadays is just that respect that I get. Now, you mentioned social media and you have a big presence on there. How did that come about? And were you kind of concerned at first? Because, hey, you know what? I'm a police officer and here I am. I'm putting my life on, on, on the line or the internet. Well, so I'm actually the PIO for my department, the public information officer. So I'm on the news all the time, like once or twice, um, you know, every other week. So I'm already out there. People already know me locally. Uh, the reason why I got, I've actually only been on social media for two and a half years and I got it because I was on vacation with my friends and they were all looking at memes I was like, how do I look at these memes? They're like, you need social media. I'm like, no. I'm like, why can't you guys just screenshot it and, and just send it to me in text? They're like, no, it's just, that's too much work. Ashley, just get a fake profile. So I get a fake profile on Instagram. My profile picture for a month was a baby duck. And I just looked at memes. So I finally changed my profile picture to a fitness picture. And I posted a fitness picture. And it got picked up by like a bunch of fitness pages. And then I posted my first uniform picture. And... If you see right now, if you're looking, do you see my picture in the center? Yeah. That police picture was the very first police picture I had ever posted. And it went everywhere. Every single police page that is on Instagram, it went everywhere. I grew overnight. My page went from like a couple hundred to like 3,000 overnight. That's weird because you know what? I put a nice picture of myself up there. and, and you're not, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Well, that picture that's in the center I see right now, you look very professional, but you're not smiling. Oh, thank you. Uh, you know, I need to smile. So it's not, you don't look approachable. True. I'm, I'm changing my profile pic tonight. Look at my eyes in that picture in the center. Like, exactly. I'm- you look, you know, you look like happy policeman. I look policeman. like, I would like, everyone want, would want to approach that person. <laughs> right? Yeah, that's, exactly. That's, why. that's exactly well, that- why. 
Well, that brings up another point. Now, you get the social media presence, and then, you know, you're repping some stuff now, too, right? I am. What are you repping? <laughs> Can you talk <laughs> about that? Yeah. Um. So I am a sponsored athlete with Steel Fit USA. It's a supplement company, um, and they also own ProTan, so I dabble with that a little bit. Um, I'm with Curves and Combat Boots, which is a sports apparel company. Um, I do some work with six-pack bags. And I'm actually, this will be the first time I even announce it. Um, I'm going to start dabbling and researching in some of the CBD stuff uh, because I waited a while to get involved in it because number one, I didn't know where New York legislation was going to go with it. And with my department, I wasn't sure how that was going to go. But now that we're, it's clear, you know, we're, we're okay to use it. Um, I wanted to do some research on it first before, because I have companies with CBD that approach me daily. And I'm like, nope, nope, I'm not ready to do it. Not sure. But I'm in talks with a company right now that I will not bring up. Um, but you guys can stay tuned for hmm. that. Hopefully we can strike up a deal. And um, I just want to be able to try it because I do not endorse anything that I do not use myself. And I will not ever promote something that I don't believe in and don't believe it works. So I give myself time to try everything before I actually use it. Or I mean, before I actually promote it. Yeah, I've been hearing really good things about CBD, but I don't, you know, working for the Fed, I don't know if that's kind of in my future, but at least I retire. Is is this, is you you find a company and if you didn't know the FDA FDA allows companies that if it's less than 1%, they can put 0%, which I think is absolute BS, but with our line of profession, if you are a police officer or a first responder or a firefighter or anything like that, you are involved in an on-duty incident that has anything to do with, you know, being sued or having your blood drawn or anything like that. So like an on-duty death, um, you know, an accident, anything like that. As long as when they run your levels, you bring in the specific item that you are taking, aka CBD oil, they can actually take that CBD oil run tests on that and line it up with the blood work that they run for you to be able to completely take it out so that, that they cannot use it. It would be an admissible to court. So that's the only reason why huh. I've been considering it is because of the fact that they are able to do those two different things to do it. And that's the only reason why um, departments in New York are even allowing it. I mean, you, as you know, it just became legal here as long as you have a card to have huh. um, marijuana. but. Um, Obviously, we're not going to do anything with that yet. I mean, police officers aren't going to be able to do that. We're still up in the air with that. But the CBD oil, as long as you're able to test the oil as well as being able to test your blood, they'll be able to actually link it. So they'll know, okay, this is why her level is this. is because of this that she's taking, which is completely legal. It's under the legal limit. You're good to go. It did not affect that officer's judgment, did not affect that officer you know, from shooting, anything like that. No, I think it's really, I mean, it's kind of looks like the wave of the future. And if it could help anything out with the pain and everything else, because I mean, I tell you, I'm closer to 50 than I am 40 nowadays. And there's weird pains coming here and there all the time. (laughs) (laughs) Or does like your hangover last longer? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's so weird. (laughs) Super weird. Nah, you know, and I've noticed you, you went from 100 followers, and I just looked. You're 130,000 Instagram followers. 130 or 134? Hey, you know what? I, I'm averaging. 134,000. There we go. Yes. 
Listen, Very cool. I take pride in that, okay? It has been two and a half <laughs> years, and I'm at 134. I don't even know how that happened. It did, and I'm very, very excited for your future with everything you're doing, too. Thank you. Now, I really appreciate you coming on. Are there anything, any organizations or anything you want to plug? I mean, besides when you're promoting, but are there anything out there that you kind of like, hey, you know what? You're an LEO. You're first respond. You should probably take a look at these guys or girls. They're doing good things for us. Um, really the only thing that I want to kind of get across to people is, um, it's getting more and more serious as the years go on is, um, issues with suicidal police officers and PTSD. And the only thing I would like to mention is that if there's anybody out there that are, that are feeling down or, you know, questioning their life or they had a traumatic incident happen, they need to reach out to people and, and to get help because it's almost it's like an everyday occurrence now. And that's really sad to see that because there's nothing that happens in people's lives where they, they think that they should take their lives. And no, I I agree. Hopefully we can get more programs out there and help for, you know, military and police and any other first responders. Um, But in the meantime, I mean, like anyone can reach out to me. It might take me a little bit to get back to them, but hopefully um, in the next year we can get, you know, a program going where, um, you know, officers that feel like they're going through a hard time have someplace to turn, like maybe a hotline or something like that, that they could call where, you know, like you or I could be on that phone like once a week and just talk to people and talk about their problems and stuff like that. So stay tuned for something like that. Um, that's kind of what I've been working on and dabbling in a little bit over the last month. Um, that's what and, you're, and you're not the only one. Cause I, I just did a show on law enforcement today where we talked about you know, because I, was, I have the military and the law enforcement background, but, and I'm noticing so much PTSD within the law enforcement ranks now. And right. a, a lot of times it's not diagnosed because you just don't understand it. And the reason we understand it with the military vets now is because we've been at war for so long now. Um, we used to call it shell shock, um, everything else in the military, but now it's, you know, it's valid PTSD. Well, here's and, my opinion, and this is my opinion only. I feel like military have that um, transition program. And so if they're feeling any sort of way, they, they, you know, can, I feel like, unfortunately, they just get labeled with PTSD if they're feeling a certain way. Mm -hmm. Um, With police officers, we don't have a transition program. So we could have PTSD and either not recognize it, not know we have it, or feel too embarrassed to admit it. Because we are in a career where if you experience or show any type of weakness, you are considered weak. Absolutely. And, you know, you brought up a good point. And, you know, I always talk all the time about the stigma. And, you know, until we can get through to, you know, management, to anybody else, that just because you need help doesn't mean you're damaged goods. Correct. And, you know, sometimes when you have those suicidal thoughts, it's a 24, 48-hour period. And if you can get through that period, you can keep moving on as long as you have – you know, a brother or sister next to you or someone to talk to. And I think it's a great idea to have, you know, on a, you volunteer, you know, I remember in college we had suicide lines, depression lines where you can go and you could volunteer for that. And you have another person on the other line, not just some random suicide line that they always put out there. You need, you know, an LEO or a brother or sister, first responder, somewhere there that could talk to you. Yeah, and someone that has experience in that line of work, because I'm sorry if Joe Schmo, that's a secretary down in the city, you know, who has no experience whatsoever as your counselor, how is that going to help you? Where 
someone like me that could sit down and be like, absolutely, I've been on a call like that. This is how this made me feel. I mean, the problem is, though, like we don't have a lot of services and the military really doesn't either. The military are in this boat to 100 percent. They don't have enough services. And it's like you guys want us to pull all these long hours, all these long shifts for all these many years and don't expect us to be a little bit messed up when we get out of it. Like, come on. Well, and that's the biggest thing is as soon as you retire and, you know, the Fed has the same retirement thing. You leave at a certain age and you don't have those brothers and sisters next to you to talk to the camaraderie. That's why a lot of times you see, you know, people getting close to the end of their careers are committing suicide because they don't have, they know that they're going to lose that connection. Correct. And that's sad. So, the cool part is we have a bunch of guys out here, which I absolutely love. They call it the coffee group. And every week, once a week, all the retirees will go out to a breakfast together and just chat and like reminisce. I absolutely love that. Like even something, a small program like that, where you take a friend out. But my thing is just anybody that's feeling that way, just make a phone call to a friend, get them actually on the line and say, Hey, listen, you know, girlfriend or boyfriend or, you know, like anybody take me out, let's go do something or let's go for a walk. I need to talk to you right now. Don't ever turn to anything else. You know what? If you listen to any of my podcasts, listen to the one I, uh, I published last night with Gretchen uh, from Code of Vets. We, we talked about the same type of thing. And having a grassroots effort to go out there and talk to, you know, just talk to the, the fellow vets, LEOs, anybody. But it's got to come from the grassroots because it seems like a lot of times these big organizations just get too big. But sometimes if, maybe if you have these community efforts, these, you know, the onesies, twosies, if you could save one life, it's absolutely worth it. Correct. Absolutely. Hmm. You may have started an LEO movement and we're going to, we're going to keep pushing it. Well, that's good. Cause I have great connections with law enforcement today as do you. So maybe that's something that you and I can pitch to them about a program that we can do, or at least have like an awareness. Yeah. I think an awareness would be perfect. Um, Kyle, if you're listening to this, we're going to be calling you soon to, to get this awareness out there. And I think we're, you were at a critical mass now in the LEO community that it needs to be addressed ASAP. Because, yeah. I mean, just NYPD alone, I think one district lost three last week, wasn't it? Yeah. And it's it's absolutely amazing that this needs to be in the news. It, it shouldn't just be like a quick blurb on social media. I mean, the only ones policing ourselves are, you know, ourselves. Correct. And we get we need to get rid of that whole stigmatism of, oh, because you go see a counselor, that means that you're messed up, like you said, because that's not accurate. I mean, and again, with this whole persona of like looking weak, we got guys and girls that won't even go see marriage counselors because they're, they're afraid that their coworkers will think bad about them. Like it's not bad to get help. And we all have bad days. If you don't want to see a counselor, like I said, call a friend. And if you don't get a hold of them, call another one, call another one, call another one, call a coworker, go for a ride along with a coworker real quick. Just if that means getting you out of the house to make you feel better. Well, I think you brought up a good point about seeing a counselor too, is so many people in our community, whether it's military or law enforcement, are, are afraid of losing a clearance or losing something, thinking that they're going to be labeled as psychotic, emotionally damaged, et cetera. So that's the other, that, that comes with the stigma. And maybe there's just awareness that you can get help and it's not going to be detrimental to your career. Yep. Or maybe even like if we develop something that was like an anonymous counselor and where, mm -hmm. you know, you don't know who the counselor is and you don't know who your client is, you know, maybe they pay like a small fee 
and they get to talk to that person that's never on a record. Yeah. There's got to be something we could do. I think we just started a business, LLC. I'll work on it. There we go. <laughs> well, Ashley, I really appreciate it. Um, I, I really wa- I'm really excited to see where this goes, um, with the P- especially the PTSD thing. Uh, we know your career is going to be fine. You're going to be pitching stuff all the time. But I really think this is the PTSD thing really needs to be kind of grassroots, you know, just push it. I agree 100%. You got that, Kyle? Yeah, Kyle, get it done. I'll call right now. <laughs> uh, just for the audience that doesn't know, Kyle Ray's runs uh, law. He's a spokesman for law enforcement today, which is a huge supporter of the law enforcement community. Obviously, with the name law enforcement today, uh, so he, uh, just check him out. Um, I did an interview a couple weeks ago about PTSD, and it's up on there now. And Ashley, I'm going to be plugging you throughout social media. And I really appreciate you coming on again. Thank you. Thank you for having me.